Listen, today's message is going to be a little unique in its form in that today I'm actually going to be, uh, I'm going to be co-preaching uh, with some of the uh, top athletes in the NFL. You're going to hear some stories today uh, from some of the players, and I want to just encourage you because I've seen all of these, and, and boy, the presence of God is, is powerful in these stories. You can tell that God's done a genuine work in some people's lives. And so whether it's me speaking up here or you're watching it on video, I want to encourage you to really lean in with your heart to what God wants to say to us today, because here's our hope and our expectation, not just that we would have fun on football Sunday, but that God would meet us in this moment and that God would speak to our hearts and to our lives. And so as we transition and prepare to receive the word today, I want to ask you to just bow your head with me one time again as we pray. Father, thank you so much for this moment and for this opportunity to celebrate, Lord, what you want to say to the church. God, give all of us ears to hear and hearts to respond to what you're saying today. God, thank you for these athletes that are using their, their platform uh, as professional athletes to lift up the name of Jesus. God, I want to use this platform to lift up the name of Jesus. So God, just prepare us for what you want to say. In Christ's name, everybody said amen. 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 Listen, here's the message today. It's a challenge for you and I to go all out in our pursuit of God and to go all in in the life that God is calling us to live. All out in our pursuit of God and all in to the life that he's calling us to live. I I read a story about some missionaries who embodied uh, that uh, as the mantra of their lives and They were known as the one-way missionaries. And the reason that they got this name is because the one-way missionaries bought a ticket to go on on a ship overseas to take the gospel to another country. And they literally went knowing they were never going to come back. They they arrived at the seaport with a a ticket, but no return ticket. And and they hugged their loved ones and they waved goodbye to their family. And they got on board these vessels and they went to go serve Jesus and tell the gospel to an unknown people group. Here's what's so amazing about their story. Not only did these one-way missionaries take a one-way trip, but if you're going on a trip and you know it's the last trip you'll ever take, It doesn't really make much sense to invest in a suitcase. And so what these these missionaries did is they packed their few earthly belongings in coffins. Just like the one here, they packed their coffin with all their worldly goods and they got on board these vessels so that they could take the gospel across the seas. One of those missionaries that we've learned about in history is A.W. Milne. He was one of these young men that set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. And he went there knowing full well that the people that lived there, the headhunters who lived there, had martyred every missionary who went before him. But he wasn't fearing for his life because he had already died to himself before he ever left the harbor. His worldly goods were packed in a coffin. And he had made up his mind that he was going to go and he was going to give his life For the sake of these people knowing the gospel, not knowing how long that life would be. Well, as it turned out, he spent 35 years investing in these people until the day came that he finally died. And unlike what they would usually do, 
with a person who died, and that would be to take their body and bury it outside of the city. What these people did is they buried him in the center of the village. What's even more incredible than that about their story is they, they put a headstone there at his grave, and on the headstone, this is the epitaph that they wrote about A.W. Milne. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Can you think of a more powerful thing to be said about a person? When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. A.W. Milne epitomizes what it means to be all out in pursuit of God and all in to the life that God has called you to live. I'm not sure when it happened, but somewhere in the course of Christendom, we started to believe that the plan and the purpose of God for your life was to arrive safely at your death. Can I just say to you today that God didn't send his son Jesus into the world to rescue us from sin so that we could play it safe. Salvation is not an insurance policy. God doesn't call us to safety. He calls us to a daring, adventurous, and a bold life lived out for the glory of God. That's what it means to go all out and to go all in for the plan of God for your life. I want to challenge you today. In a spiritual sense, pack your coffin. Just make up your mind today that you found something that's worth living for, something that's worth dying for, and that you're not going to hold on or look back to any plan B or worldly possession, but that you would say, this is the reason that I'm alive. I love the testimony from an athlete you're about to hear because he discovered this truth in his own life. Let's check it out together. From his days in high school to playing at an elite college and finally making it to the NFL, Kirk Cousins continues to defy expectations. Kirk is that guy you want in your corner. This is his story. I remember one time in third grade, a, a kid came over as we were just playing catch innocently. He just came over, he said, you really throw the football well. And I said, oh, thanks, man. He said, no, no, no. You really throw the football well. And I thought, oh, okay. Played my very first varsity game my junior year of high school, and I knew that this was a big year for recruiting. So I knew that I needed to play well to have a chance to play in college. And in the very first quarter of the very first game of my very first varsity season, I got hit on my left side and, and broke my ankle. And I remember driving back from the hospital with a cast on my ankle, there were tears in my eyes, and I called my dad, and I said, Dad, because I'm going to miss this season, it means that I can't play in college. The dream is over, if you will, to play in college. And my dad said, Kirk, you don't know that. Uh, think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He will direct your steps. At that moment, as a 17-year-old junior in high school, I made Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 my life verse. And um, from that moment on, said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust Him and let him sort out the rest. A year and a half ago, I said it would be impossible to play college football, and now I'm signing a full scholarship to have college paid for to play for a school that would have been my dream school all along. You know, that was only the beginning, and yet at that time, I thought that alone uh, teaches me 
what it means to walk by faith and how big God is. And yet God said, Kirk, I, I haven't done anything yet. I'm going to take you on a journey here. Just keep trusting me. The night before the draft, my dad sat our family down and he read from 1 Samuel 16, where David is anointed king. And he said, this passage has the feel of a draft because Samuel goes to the home of Jesse and he says, bring out your sons from your sons will be the next king. Well, he goes through the, the first and he says, surely this must be the one. I mean, he looks the part. And the, the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, no, he's not the one. And then he goes through each one and he goes through seven. And the Lord says no to all of them. And so Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any other sons? Because the Lord said the seven you brought to me are not it. He said, well, I have one more, David. He's out in the field. I didn't even think he was in the running. So David, he said, bring him. So David's brought before Samuel. Samuel sees him and the Lord says, that's the one. And my dad's point to me was, Kirk, there's a lot of outward appearance looking going on right now around the NFL with the draft. And there will be going forward. Ultimately, as you've seen through your upbringing, the Lord directs your steps. The Lord has his hand on your life. And the Lord is not looking at the outward appearance. The Lord is looking at the heart. My dad came over and he said, Kirk, do you know what number quarterback you were? And I said, no, I, I don't. I said, I know there's usually 10 or 11 that get picked in the draft every year. He said, you were the eighth quarterback. He said, we read 1 Samuel 16 two nights ago, and David was the eighth son of Jesse. He said, I think the Lord is speaking to you. He's saying, Kirk, I have my hand on your life. When you fly to Washington, just trust me that I've got the next year, two, three, four, whatever it may be, under my control. probably had more where are you God moments than I have had the moments where I know he's near but I look back and I see he's faithful and he knows what he's doing and he gives us just enough I want to see lives changed for the kingdom and I want as many people as possible to come to know the hope of the gospel but also not only to come to know Jesus through the gospel, but then to make him Lord of their life and to see what I've seen in terms of decades of the Lord's hand guiding a life. And that's a journey that we're all on and we're all in different places on that journey. But um, that's what I want my life to be about. If we're not careful, we can view our lives through our own understanding of things. But God invites us to something better. He invites us into a life that doesn't always make sense and to trust Him in the middle of it anyway. You may be in the middle of a circumstance that doesn't make any sense to you at all, but Kirk's story, along with stories told and retold through the pages of Scripture, all point to a God who is working out a plan in us, through us, for His glory. And our invitation is to simply trust in Him as the author of our stories and then to watch him create the results for everything that happens in every area of our lives. Trust him. Come on, isn't that great? Man. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I don't know about you, but I will never look at Kirk Cousins wearing the number eight the same again. That has so much meaning now. And maybe you felt that way before. You felt like the eighth one. You know, I mean, what a powerful story you know, of, of David in the Old Testament. He's out in the field and his own family doesn't even consider him. They just overlook him. And, and we can get that way in our own lives sometimes where maybe we feel forgotten. Maybe we feel like we've just been overlooked or that we haven't been considered. And, and we wanted to be chosen, but we were just overlooked. And, and I love the thing I love about that story so much is that God sends Samuel, the prophet, and Samuel goes and he, he finds David where he's at. I mean, he's looking at these other seven sons and, and yet there's something in him that just knows there, there's something more. There's somebody else. And, and let me just say this about prophets in the Old Testament. Their role was to tell people what God was saying. That was what a prophet did. They didn't have a leather-bound Bible like you did, and so the prophet would tell the people what God was saying. And as I was thinking about this testimony in this moment today, I just want to step into that role of a prophet today in your life and just tell you what God is saying. I want to come to you and find you the way that, that Samuel sought out and found David and say to you that, look, you might feel like the eighth one, but God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. In fact, the Bible says God calls you the apple of his eye. You matter more to him than anything. And if the cross of Jesus Christ tells us anything at all, it ought to tell us that you were worth dying for, that God loved you so much that he would send his son to redeem your life. And, and that's the, the hope that we have. And, and David gets this anointing, and all of a sudden he has purpose, and he has destiny, and he recognizes something that maybe his family didn't even recognize about him, that God wants to do something great through my life. But you know what I think is interesting about that story is after David gets anointed, he doesn't pack up his bags and go to live in the palace right away. David goes back to the fields. He goes back to working as a shepherd. He goes back to, to putting in the time and just being faithful. And, and on the outside, it seems like nothing has changed, but something has changed. Something unseen has changed. All of a sudden, there's a confidence. There's a trust that we heard talked about in that video that David began to trust in the Lord for his future. He began to trust in the Lord with his plans. And, and can I just say to you today that, that you may hear this message and say, you know, that's what I need. I need to trust in God. So you're not disappointed later. Let me just tell you now, when you leave, everything's not going to be changed. Now in your heart, things can change in a moment, but the reality is you're going to leave here today and you're going to go back to the same job that you left on Friday. You're going to go home to the same family that you, you drove away from when you came here or that you drove here with. You're going to go back to the same issues and the same problems. And, and the thing that is different is not outwardly everything's changed. That God doesn't just snap his fingers and, and make everything just a, a bed of roses. But the reality is there's something that changes in your heart. The moment you choose to trust and say, God, I trust you with all my heart. And I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to acknowledge you in all my ways, and I'm going to believe that you're going to direct my path. There's an opportunity that becomes ours. Jesus talked about it in John chapter 10, verse 10. I want you to see this verse. Jesus said this. He said, the thief, that's the devil, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. 
That, that's the prophetic word that goes forward to you and to me today, that Jesus said, I've come that you may have life. And can I just say this to you today? The full life that Jesus intended for you to have is not the life with the most money. It's not the, the life with the most toys. It's not the, the life with the most friends. The life that he gave you is so much more than that. It's the life that is the most satisfying. Your satisfaction, it, it may include a lot of money or a lot of friends or a great job or, or a great career, but the life that he wants to give you is the life that is the most satisfying. Hear this today. Hear this. You don't have to forfeit a happy, satisfied life to fulfill the purpose of God in your life. That's a lie from the pit of hell that would push people back from surrendering to God, thinking, well, if I give my life to Jesus, I'm not going to be able to pursue my dreams. If I give my life to Jesus, I'm not going to be, have to run, be able to run after my desires. Listen, here's the goodness of God. Before you ever had a desire, before you ever had a dream, he formed you in his own image. He hardwired you to, to have certain tendencies. There's a reason that you are the way you are. And the life that's going to give you the most satisfaction is the life that's going to give him the most glory. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So more than anything else, you just have to take a step that says, God, I'm willing to trust you with my life. Going all out in faith says, God, I believe that you're going to write my story for your glory. Going all out in faith means I believe God is going to write my story for your glory. In fact, could we all just say this together? Say, my story for his glory. My story for his glory. Come on, one more time. My story for his glory. That's what God wants from us today. I'd like to introduce you to my wife, Kirsten. Hey, everyone. It's great to be with you today. Kirsten and I have learned a lot in our marriage about Jesus. And one thing we've learned is that at the heart of Christ is the reality of pouring the love of God into the lives of others. We receive the love of God in Christ, and then we give it away to the world. Case and Kimberly Keenum have made a commitment to do exactly that, wherever, whenever. Jesus calls this discipleship. And I'm really excited to give you a glimpse into the lives of Case and Kimberly Keenum. first memories of each other, uh, we played flashlight tag throughout the church, you know, at night. I remember seeing her run back to base and not, not remembering her name exactly, but her older brother, Brandon, who I was better friends with at the time, I said, uh, I got you, Brandon's little sister. And uh, I turned around and I said, that's not my name. And I ran to base. I don't know if that was the start of our <laughs> romance, but uh, it was definitely one of our first memories of each other. You know, coming into to college, I was consumed by football. Um, you know, was, I'm a competitive person. You know, when it didn't come easy, uh, you know, I struggled with it. You know, throwing one bad pass at practice or having a mistake, you know, here or there, uh, you know, really consumed me. And it was a lesson I, I, I continually learned from freshman year all the way up to senior year when I hurt my knee that I was not just a, a football player that happened to be a Christian. I was a Christian who happened to play football.
Jesus really commanded us it was his very last breaths before he left earth. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One of the best parts of that verse, one that really struck home for us is that word go. It's not just, not just go, but it's as you are going. So uh, for me as a football player, uh, for her as a, as a wife, um, you know, whether you're a businessman, teacher, you know, construction work, whatever you're doing, um, you know, as you are going, as you are doing those things, make disciples. It's not slapping them in the face with the Bible, but living our life as close as we can to chasing after Jesus. You know, coming out of college, I was un undrafted, signed Houston Texans, signed with the St. Louis Rams, signed back to the Houston Texans at the end of that year, and then traded back to the St. Louis Rams, moved with the St. Louis Rams to LA, and then signed with the Minnesota Vikings, and then this past season signed with Denver Broncos. Moved four times in one year, right? Six times in seven. <laughs> place we've been, I, I never want to leave that place without giving the best I've got, without getting to know as many women as I possibly can. I don't want to waste that year. I want to help point others to Jesus no matter what I'm doing, and that is absolutely our goal as we are going. You know, one of those big things that we've um, you know, prayed about and talked a lot about is is having kids, having children. You know, a few years ago, decided that we were, you know, not going to not try anymore. You know, and then a few years passed by, and you know, nothing was nothing was really going. So we started to get a little more serious about it. And uh, over the course of a, a few, you know, bumps in the road, some some different uh, procedures, some different things that we've had to go through. Um, you know, we're still praying that God's you know plan has has children for us. Having kids is not going to give me this ultimate happiness. Like, yes, it's going to be so joyful and amazing, and I cannot wait for hopefully the Lord to provide that in our lives. But I still feel like He's just teaching us so much to find the ultimate joy in Him and in Him alone and just peace in Him. And I feel like the Lord has us in this time to be able to just have extra time to pour into other people. So many women do feel shame and do struggle with it so much and go through a lot more than what we've been through. And I just don't want to go through this time, like we were saying earlier, to be a waste. Like I want to be able to still help point somebody to Christ through the midst of it. Like I don't want to wait till I'm on the outside of it. I want in the midst of it, as we're going, to help another woman going through this. And I understand it stinks, but like God has purpose no matter where we're at in our life. There's not a doubt in our mind that God's plan is so much better than anything that we ever imagined. Last year we experienced two miscarriages. And what I learned is that it's so much easier to stay silent and be isolated. 
But for the sake of others going through the same challenges, the Kenans are sharing their story for the encouragement of others. And I love that they're pouring Christ into people, even in the middle of their own personal uncertainties and trials. And they're telling their story from the middle with no conclusion, something most of us would rather not do. And the Kenans refuse to allow any day to be a wasted day because the love of God is way too important to keep silent. I'm challenged to quit making excuses based on my circumstances and to become someone who carries the love of God into my world, no matter what. Yeah. You know, just a moment ago, I had you say it out loud with me, my story for his glory. But let's be honest here. When we say that kind of thing, we usually mean my success story for his glory, right? I mean, we want to we host up the trophy. We want to wear the championship ring. We want to say, God, be glorified in this, in this moment that, that I'm winning. But the reality is, it's a lot harder to say, God, be glorified in my defeat. God, be glorified in my brokenness. God, be glorified in my disappointments. And the thing that I love so much about the Kenum's testimony is the, the fact that they, they didn't wait for everything to work out well before they decided to, to give it to God and to be used for his purpose. Can I just challenge you to do the same thing? Don't wait until, until God's resolved all the issues. Don't wait until he's put a nice pretty bow on your testimony and you can say, oh, look what the Lord has done. But share your story in the middle. That's what God calls us to as the church, to, to, to rub shoulders with one another and, and to, to, to be a part of the process of what God wants to do. Can I just be honest with you? That's the pushback that a lot of people have from even being part of a church. It's the fact that if, if I go, I mean, you know, I, I, can, I mean, to go and to sit and to spectate once or even twice, not a big deal. But the pushback of getting involved in a faith community is the messiness of the process. It's, it's knowing that other people know what I'm going through. It's, it's easy to talk about what I used to deal with. It's easy to talk about what my problems used to be or what God did for me back in that day. But to actually let people get involved in your life and to actually share the struggle and, and to know the difficulty. I mean, I got to be honest. First time I watched the testimony, I kept waiting for them to pan to the shot of the beautiful family and the children that God gave them and the answers to prayer. I kept waiting for like the, the conclusion to the kingdom story. But isn't it even more powerful that even though God has not fulfilled their heart's desires, they're still using their platform to give him glory? I just love that heart that says that this day, this moment, this season of my life, it's, it matters too much to waste my opportunity. So where I'm at, what I'm going through, I'm going to give God glory. And to be a part of the church is to let people into your story and to say, listen, I'm trusting God. I don't, I don't claim to have it all figured out. I hope that's not what you came for today, to get all the answers. We don't have all the answers. What we do is we come on Sundays and we worship the one who has the answers. But we come in this place and we share life together and we acknowledge that I don't have it all figured out and I'm not even sure what tomorrow holds. See, that, that's the tactic of the enemy to say, wait until it's worked out before you give it to God. Because the reality is this, if you, if you always wait for better circumstances, if you always wait for a more opportune time, if you always wait for the right season, how many of you know that's never going to come? 
That's never going to come. We'll always make excuses, and we'll never let God be glorified through our story. We'll always wait for the story to, to sound better or play out better or to make more sense, and we'll miss the opportunity to magnify the Lord. I want to show you a verse in Ecclesiastes. It's kind of poetic, but it communicates a powerful thought. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4. It says this, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. What that verse is saying is for, for the person that's watching the wind, they're going to say, ah, you know what? We shouldn't sow the seed today. It's too windy. It's going to get blown around. Let's do it another day. And for the person, it's, it's harvest time, and, and you need to go out and get in the field. But they're watching the clouds, and they're saying, you know what? Maybe today we shouldn't harvest because it could rain today. It's a poetic way of saying, stop procrastinating. It's just a, a nice way of saying, stop making excuses. Because, yeah, the wind's blowing, and maybe there's clouds in the sky, but today is the day that you've been given to do the job. And for us, today is the day that we've been given to glorify God with our life, to go all in in our pursuit of God and all out in the life that he wants us to live is to recognize that we are living today the life that he wants us to live. It might not have gone the way you wanted it to go. Things might not be happening the way that you had hoped they would happen, but is he God or is he not God? Because if he's Lord and he's sovereign over it all, then today is the day that he's given me to glorify him. And so the challenge for us is to, to not wait, to not hold back, but to, to jump into the messy middle of each other's story and say, we're going to trust God through this. And, and if we celebrate in, in, in the end zone of life and say, look what the Lord has done, great. But if we go back to the locker room with our head held in, down in defeat, we're still going to say, to God be the glory for great things that he has done. Because he's Lord, and I'm not. That's what it looks like to say, God, all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. And maybe you're here today, and you hear that, and you go, yeah, that, that sounds good. That, that might preach well. But listen, you don't know what I'm in right now. You don't know what I'm trying to come out of right now to go all in with faith. And for you, you might say, this just feels, it feels so far away from my current reality. I, I just, I don't even know how to get to that place. And, and I would just say, if, if, that's, if that's what's in your heart today, here's my admonition for you. Just take the next step. Just take the next step. Because here, here's what we do. We've all done it. We see somebody else's highlight reel. We see somebody else's end zone celebration. We see somebody else's beautiful filtered Instagram post. And we, we look at everything they have and we go, oh, I want that. I want that. You look at these athletes that we're watching. Oh, I, I wish I had his career. I wish I had his uh, his salary. I wish I had his life. But what we want is their crown. What we don't want is the process that took them there. See, it's easy to look at other people's uh, finality and say, oh, that's, I wish I could have that. But, but you don't know what they went through to get there. You don't know what it took to get to that place. And I'm going to tell you what it takes. It takes one step followed by another step. Followed by another step. I, I said it earlier. I want to say it again. Listen, we're not going to just, you know, pray a little prayer and snap your fingers and God just removes all of the obstacles in your life and, it, and it's just sweet sailing from here on. It doesn't happen that way. The way it happens is sowing and reaping. 
Sowing and reaping. You sow and then you reap. And, and the reality is you may have come in today and you have sowed a lot of bad seed in your life. And you can make a decision today to trust Jesus. You can make a decision today to say, God, I want you to be glorified through my life. And he will honor that prayer. But you still may have to live in the weeds of yesterday's seeds. It doesn't mean it all goes away. It doesn't mean that it's, it's carefree and problem-free. I mean, come on. If that was the message, wouldn't the church be packed out? I mean, would, would we have enough seats if, if the gospel was just pray this little prayer after me and God's going to take all your problems away? But here's what happens. See, people pray a prayer. They say, God, I trust you. And then they, they go back to the same problems on Monday, the same problems on Tuesday, the same heartache and the same difficulty. And, and they give up. They give up. Here's what will happen. If you'll just put one foot in front of the other, if you'll just sow the right seeds, pretty soon, a good harvest is going to overtake yesterday's crop. Those weeds are going to die out, and fruitfulness will come out of your life. I want to challenge you today, and I want you to hear one more powerful story. Start taking the right steps and see what God will do with your faithfulness. I re-signed with New Orleans this season, a city I played in before. And when I heard that DeMario Davis would be playing for the Saints too, I was excited because I know what he brings on and off the field. DeMario is a true leader. His personality draws people to himself, and then he redirects that toward God. But it wasn't always that way. This is DeMario's story. The first year I played football, I played running back. I went out and scored like, you know, 50 touchdowns in a year. Our team went undefeated all the way to the championship game, and I just kind of knew uh, then that football was a possible avenue for success for me. Going into my ninth grade year, I'm introduced um, to marijuana, I'm introduced to alcohol, I'm introduced to uh, sex. This is a 14-year-old kid uh, dealing with this stuff, and I didn't have a father figure around to teach me, you know, what all that meant. All I had was to look to were the guys in the streets, which was drug dealers, guys who had criminal records, and I was looking up to those guys. So I just figured I was supposed to do what they did. I wanted to show them that I wasn't scared, that I wasn't uh, afraid to be a bad boy or whatever. I just wanted to impress them. I tried to jack. Um, another kid for his wallet. I tried to steal his wallet in the hallway and I ended up getting in trouble and getting um, expelled from school. I remember my mom calling me on the phone and just hearing her brokenness when she answered the phone, you know, just like, DeMario, what have you done? And when she said that, it was almost to the point of, you have messed up your life. And I remember uh, being out running the streets with some of my friends and we were breaking in cars. I punched the window and I cut my arm up and I have this serious gash in my arm and I felt like this was the first time I heard an audible voice from God and he said that's strike number two the first strike was you getting kicked out of school the second strike is you almost killed yourself tonight if it would have been a few inches down I could have gashed my wrist and died that night that scared me to the point of from the rest of my junior and my senior year I cleaned up my act I get to college but the fruit of my life still isn't changed. I get back and I'm a, all of a sudden I'm at this college and now I'm a small fish in a big pond. So I feel like I gotta prove myself all over again. So I go back to drink and I go back to smoke and I go back to partying and I land myself in jail. We stealing groceries out of Walmart. And I just remember looking around and like, 
whatever I'm trying to do with my life, it isn't working. I had a chance to make it out, and now my coach can take my scholarship and I'd be sent back home. And I, and I messed up my opportunity before I even played a snap on the field. Fortunately, the coach did not kick me off the team. He gave me another chance. Because a little while later, our team chaplain, who I'd been going to Bible studies with, he started to spend time with me in the Word. He was talking about, you know, these radical ideas that I had never even thought about. And then he started to show me in the Bible that matched exactly what he was saying. And I never had looked at the Bible in that light. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. And he was talking about, this is talking about your heart. So my whole theory with God was, at the end of the day, God, you know I got a good heart. Well, this was showing me that I had a bad heart because nothing but bad fruit was coming from my life. But then he told me something that was reassuring and encouraging. He said, God will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that night I went home and I was scared and I just prayed. It was the most sincere prayer I had ever prayed. I said, God, I need a new heart. That's all I said. The next day I was hoping that everything would change. I woke up and by the end of the day I was doing a lot of the same stuff I had been doing. And I was like, man, you said that God would give me a new heart if I asked. He said, if you ask for a new heart, God will honor it and God will give it to you. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but he's gonna give it to you. The message started to resonate and I started to understand why Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to pay for those sins. And until we get a new heart, we can't fix what's coming out of us. And that God wants to come inside of us and clean us so that he can draw us back to himself. And it was like he was taking the scales off my eyes. At that moment, he removed the taste of alcohol from my mouth. He didn't remove marijuana and sex right then. But I said, God, you're the Lord of my life. And I'm gonna choose to serve you. When you wanna move these things, you will. And he did a little bit later. Um, he removed marijuana, and then uh, I was in an imperial relationship for five years. God broke it. He was like, it's time to get out of this, and I got out of that relationship. For two years, I walked in purity. I dated my wife, and then we were married a year and a half later, and that was the first time I'd ever did a relationship the right way. And to say that I've done that now, and then look at the, the benefits of uh, a blessed relationship and our marriage of after four years and our, our beautiful children just to see that the fruit that's come from it you just understand God is a God of order and when we do things in his order he can bless them more I let go and I said God I'm trusting you I don't know where you're going to take me and he's brought me closer and closer to him DeMario's story is a great example of how God pursues us it's a relentless pursuit of kindness, truth, and love. And DeMario needed God, even though he didn't realize it. And it may be the same for you today. All out, all in. It's not just a battle cry for football players. It's God's battle cry toward us too. The cross of Jesus Christ proves it. And the resurrection of Jesus gives it more power than anything else in our lives. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the message of the gospel. Amen? That's the hope that we have today. Listen, I, I don't stand here to condemn any person for the life that you carried in here today. In fact, Jesus said, the same judgment that you use to judge others, it's going to be used to judge you. So believe me when I say, I'm no man's judge. But in that same portion of scripture, he does call us to be fruit inspectors. 
the word says a tree is known by its fruit. And so you have to be honest with yourself. I love the, the realization that DeMario came to when he said, it's self-deception for me to say to God that you know I have a good heart. When in fact the Bible says I don't have a good heart. And the fruit of my life communicates that the root of my heart is corrupt. Maybe you look at your life today and you have to inspect the fruit of it. You have to be honest. Say, and my heart is not bearing good fruit. And, and that's why the first step to anybody being saved, to coming into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, is first and foremost to acknowledge that you're a sinner. To, to acknowledge the fact that, that your life is not bearing the fruit that God called it to bear. And when you acknowledge that and you realize that you've taken that first step, you've, you've given yourself the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus because the only relationship that he'll have with anyone is that he is Lord. And so when you acknowledge your own sin, you're saying, okay, God, I recognize my own need. And then the second thing you do is you just believe. You believe that Jesus alone is the way of salvation. That because you're a sinner, because I'm a sinner, and our sin deserves eternal punishment, that there's nothing in and of ourselves that, that should merit us the opportunity to live eternal presence of God. But because Jesus was sinless and perfect, and he took our place, he died the death you should have died so that you could live the life that he purchased. When you believe that, then the last thing you have to do is simply confess it out loud. The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 9, that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and we confess with our lips that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. We'll be saved. I want to challenge you today, if, if you've never made that decision before, to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You've never come to that place that DeMario came to and that many others in this room have come to where we admit our own sin and our own shortcomings and you put your faith in Jesus I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now and I, I just sensed as I was praying for this day and for this moment that maybe there's several others in, in this room that you've prayed that prayer before you've asked Jesus to come into your life you've asked him to be the leader of your life but but you didn't quite get out of the weeds of yesterday's seeds and so while you wanted to give Jesus your life, because of the stuff that you've been dealing with, you haven't quite broken free yet. In fact, maybe you've even allowed it to draw you back in to yesterday's bondage. I want to challenge you today, one step, one step to pray a simple prayer, to just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to ask you to bow your head with me all over this room. I don't want anyone looking around because this is your moment right now between you and God. And I want to invite you to just pray that simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Listen, you're going to need to talk to God about a lot of stuff. This isn't the last prayer you're going to pray. But salvation is not the finish line of our faith. Salvation is the starting line. This is the moment where we begin to live the great adventure that God called you to. So you can just pray one simple sentence prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. 
If you just prayed that prayer today and you said to the Lord, I, I, I trust you, I'm surrendering to you. We want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. Just for a moment longer, while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you just prayed that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life, would you just raise your hand so I know who we're praying for? Praise God. Thank you. Anyone else? Praise God. God's moving in so many hearts. Thank you on this side of the room. You can put your hand back down. Listen, in a few moments, we're going to close this service. Look, look at me for just a moment, everyone. We're going to close this service. In fact, I, I'm going to give our, our NFL host the last word. But after he gives the closing words, we're going to open these altars up. If you just prayed that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. For the first time, or, or maybe this is a moment of, of coming back to the place you know you need to be. We have a gift that we want to give to you. Listen, this is not a leverage tactic. This is something that's going to help you. It's a book that's going to help you to know exactly what Jesus is doing in your life today and what he wants to do this week and in the weeks to follow. So after the last word on the video, these altars are going to be open. Our prayer team is going to be up here in the front. And I want to invite you to just, from where you are, to come at that moment, to let somebody pray with you give you a resource to help you begin to take the next steps that Jesus has for you to take. And I want to just say a last word to the church. Church, the altars are always open for you. If you're here today and you've got something that you just want to pray about, we want to just invite you to come and to let someone meet you in this altar and just believe God to answer your prayers. Thank you so much for for being here today, for being a part of this. I hope you enjoy the game this afternoon and have an incredible week. After this last word, the service will be dismissed. These altars will be open. God bless you today. All out, all in. We see it in Kirk Cousins as he trusts God when things don't make sense. We see it in the Keenum's life as they refuse to allow any day to be wasted because the love of God is too important for them. And finally, we see it in God's unrelenting pursuit of DeMario. And now, the invitation goes out to you. What would it look like for you to go all out in your pursuit of God? And what would it take for you to be all in when it comes to the life He's inviting you to live? So on behalf of myself and Kirsten, of Kirk and DeMario and the Kingdoms, and finally, from everyone on the Football Sunday team, may you experience the love of Christ richly and profoundly. And may you take one step closer today to following in the footsteps of Jesus as he leads and guides you. It's been my pleasure to spend this time with you. Enjoy the game and have a great day.